This week, we will be finishing up our series on 3 John, which we have titled, A Culture That Cares. In this series, we've seen how the Apostle John is writing to his good friend Gaius, an early church leader. John commends his friend for how Gaius has followed the instructions, the teaching of Jesus. He thanks Gaius for the culture that he is building in his church, a culture that walks in the truth. They are not being swayed by the culture around them or the loud voices in the pews. Instead, Gaius is faithfully listening to and applying the writings of Scripture and the teachings of Jesus. Gaius is building a culture that welcomes the stranger, embraces the outsider. He may not know those that he and his people are partnering with on a deep level. They may not agree on everything, but they are invested in working together for the truth. And John brings up one of the chief reasons for writing, and, and then John brings up one of the chief reasons for writing the letter. Another church leader has risen up, Diotrephes. Diotrephes is one example that Scripture gives us of poor church leadership. He is selfish. He doesn't take direction well. John writes that Diotrephes always wants to be first and to keep his place, to keep his power and his position. He has ignored John's instructions. He spread malicious rumors. He's locked the door on the stranger and cast out of the fellowship anyone who supports the outsider. And John's nervous that Gaius will be swayed by Diotrephes. But instead of imitating bad, John encourages Gaius to imitate good. We looked at that last week. Good we recognized as imitating Jesus, imitating God, imitating our heavenly dad. This week, we close with the final verses of this very short book in the New Testament. The title of the sermon is Face to Face, and will be in 3 John chapter 1, verses 13 to 15. If you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to turn there. If you prefer a Bible in your hands, there should be one on the back of the pew in front of you, but we will also have the words on the screens beside me. Let us read the word of the Lord this morning. 3 John chapter 1, verses 13 to 15. I have much to write you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. Thus ends the reading. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. Growing up in a town of 40 people, there aren't a lot of dating options, especially when 20% of the town's your own family. I lived in what was classified as a, as a hamlet, but the town I went to school in was, was 10 minutes away in Birch Hills, Saskatchewan, and, and honestly, there wasn't a ton of dating options there either. Don't get me wrong, there were some nice girls and I had my fair share of crushes, but when the time came, or the time that I was ready at least, or at least thought I was ready to date, it just didn't really happen for me. The girls I was interested in just weren't that interested. Imagine that. And then, and then we went on a ski retreat to the mountains of, of southern Alberta with the youth group. And, and through the course of the weekend, I met a young woman, and she was just my style. And as I came to find out, I didn't repulse her. 
So we started writing letters to each other because that's what people did, had to do before the internet, right? Like cell phones as we know them didn't exist. Texting wasn't a thing. Email wasn't even around at that point. We, we had a house phone, but it would have cost a lot of money because of long distance fees, another thing we're not really having to worry about so much anymore. And I would have been mortified if a girl called and my parents answered. And there's no way I was calling her. What if her dad picked up the phone? Like, that's not happening, not worth the risk. So we wrote letters, and I remember the first letter she sent me. Not, not the words, not the color of the ink, and definitely not the smell. I just remembered that it smelled. This young lady must have soaked that letter in perfume so that it still carried the scent by the time it made the couple weeks trek up to Hagen, Saskatchewan. My dad walked into the house from the mailbox, waving that thing around, calling my name, Daniel. Somebody got a letter, and boy, does it smell sweet. You know, I was so excited. I, I didn't even care that he was teasing me. I grabbed that envelope, and I ran to my room, and I ripped it open. My eyes tore through the content, eating up every word. And then I stuffed that letter into a metal tin, and every time I felt lonely for that little lady, I would pop open the tin and take a sniff. Probably not surprising, I was in an emo band, eh? We wrote back and forth for quite a few months. Sometimes I feel bad that it's highly unlikely my boys will ever get a letter that smells like a woman's perfume with the technology and everything these days. But here's the deal with perfume. It wears off. And after a couple of months, the letters stopped coming. And it wasn't too long after that, the little tin can stopped smelling. Long distance can be hard to maintain. When we were together, things were good, right? We laughed, we joked, we teased, we flirted. It was fun. But after you've been apart, after you haven't spent as much time together, it takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of commitment to maintain a relationship. Because if you're not there, if you're not present, it's just not the same. John's writing to his friend Gaius, and as John is closing out this letter, he says, I have much to write to you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I have so much that I want to say to you, writes the apostle, so much that I want to share with you. I can't wait to tell you of some of the awesome things. I have so many ways that I want to encourage you. I have so many things that I want to disciple you in, but I don't want to do it with pen and ink. I don't want to do it in a letter. The apostle continues in verse 14, I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. John knows that there are some things that need to be done in person. He knows that relationships are hard to maintain at a distance. It's not the same when we interact, talk, spend time together, or celebrate when we are far apart. Every Christmas, my brothers and sisters and I and our spouses, we all do a, a gift exchange. And to pull it off, we each make time, to, uh, time either on Christmas Eve or on Christmas Day, and we all get together and we open the gifts. And it's fun. I, I enjoy it, but it's also hard. Because Karen and I are sitting on our couch in New Jersey, and the rest of my family is in my mom and dad's living room. And when one sibling or spouse opens a gift, there are hugs and, and cheers, and Karen and I sit on the screen smiling. And it's cool. Like, I mean, it's rad that we can be a part of it in that way, but it's not the same as if we are there. 
It's not like we're being excluded. My family is great at including us in that. The screen gets passed around. They make sure that we're able to see everything all the time. But it's not the same as being there. It's not the same as being face-to-face with those that we are celebrating with. It's, it's just not the same. Being physically present with people is important. It's, it's healthy. There's no substitute for time spent with each other, time spent with family, with friends, with the body of Christ, with the church. The apostle writing to his friends all those years ago knew it, right? Like he, he knew it. He, he put it in the letter, and it remains It remains just as true for us today. A blessing, but also a struggle that we have today that John did not have to face is technology, right? We can limit most of our interpersonal interactions to a device if we so desire. Texting, the numerous social media apps, chatting over Zoom, attending church online, technology has made it so that what was once a necessity, exiting the confines of our house, is no longer so. We can work from home. We can order food to our home. We never, we never need to leave. And sometimes that can be a blessing, right? Like I'm, I'm super thankful that I have the opportunity to hop on a device and do a video call with my parents and my siblings, though they live literally across the country from, from me. I'm thankful that there are church services to stream or to watch recorded vis- videos of. Church options are limited often in a lot of places and spaces. Some people are sick or homebound, and today's technology enables them to find work, to worship with a church body regularly, to be part of society in certain ways, and I'm thankful for those options. But even though those things are convenient and in some ways, in some situations, necessary, they are also not the ideal. Because personal interaction is important. Face-to-face relationship is important. A Psychology Today article from September 6, 2020 says this, Many studies show that we feel better when we're socializing than when we're alone. And the introverts are going to be like, That is not true, sir. I much prefer to be alone. And to that I say, false. We just interact differently. Studies show, studies say that introverts and extroverts just interact differently, but they function better. They are healthier when they are doing some interaction. The study continues, but some have argued that digital interactions are less satisfying than their offline counterparts. Another article was was put up in April 2020 by psychminds.com entitled, the title of the the article was Communication, Online versus Face-to-Face Interactions. For the purposes of the article and the research the article was drawn from, texting was considered an online interaction, right, because it's a digital interaction. And this is a portion from the conclusion of the paper. Overall, face-to-face communication fosters higher quality interactions than online communication. Is that to say the virtual world has nothing to offer in terms of socializing? Absolutely not. Online communication and social media should be used as supplemental to one's social life. It should not, however, be integral or the sole source of where one socializes and interacts with others. Online interaction isn't inherently bad. If abused, yes, it's unhealthy. But used responsibly, online interactions are good. Letters are good, right? Like John wrote a letter to his friend Gaius. It's good, but it's not as good as face-to-face. A phone call is great, but it's not as great as spending time with someone. Because spending time with people is how we really get to know them. 
Spending time with people is how we tell them that they matter to us. Spending time with people face-to-face is integral to relationship, and spending time with people face-to-face is integral to the church. And so the question becomes, how are we doing with that? I know we can't all make it to everything. There are going to be Sundays that we'll miss, and that's fine, right? Like, that's acceptable. You're not going to make it to every event. You're not going to make it to every small group. You're not going to make it to every women's event or men's event. Like, we, we get that. I, I, I get that. It's totally cool. It's 100% understandable. It's not intended that everybody shows up to everything. The point of the question isn't to celebrate a legalistic answer so that you can check a box of of being at all the things. There isn't a prize for that, and I'm not trying to guilt you into that. I, I don't think that Scripture is making that demand. But I do think that Scripture points out it's good for us to be together. As Francois read for us earlier from the book of Hebrews, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some were in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. It's good for the church to interact face-to-face, both in the building and out of it. So nobody is saying that you need to go to all the things, but I do see the Bible encouraging us to go to some of the things to the things we can, even to some of the things that we don't want to, so that we might spend time in ministry together and spend time in fellowship together, so that we might support each other, so that we might get to know each other better as a church and as a body. And I know that the world is good at filling our days with things, right? Time rarely feels like it's on our side. There are always places to be, always things to do, and it's good to do a lot of them. But if you're just doing the things outside the church, if you continue to prioritize the things outside the church, then the relationships you'll be growing are those outside the church. And again, growing relationships outside the church is great. We're encouraged to grow and develop them. It's a necessary part of life. It's also an important part of ministry. That's what we are called to do, right? But if we spend the vast majority of our time forming and maintaining relationships outside the church and we aren't spending time with people we've been called to be shoulder to shoulder and face to face with for the sake of the gospel, then will we have a healthy church? I was part of a group one time where we would meet in my friend's living room and four of the 16 of us would always be on our phones. They were present But they weren't really involved in the conversation. The rest of us began to grow in our relationship with each other as we talked, as we spent time. But but those that were on their phones just kind of were there. Sometimes they'd laugh at stuff that none of us understood because we didn't see the meme or read the thread that, that they were following on their device. They were present, but they were checked out. They were physically there, but they weren't growing with the rest of us. Those friends didn't leave the group. They were there when, at the time when it ended. They weren't excommunicated. Nobody got kicked out, but they didn't have the depth of relationship that the rest of us had. And in a way, that's what it can look like in the church a bit as well, can't it? We can be present, but not involved, not part of the face-to-face ministries and mission of the church we attend. And I don't say that to push anyone away. This isn't intended. This is not intended to be a guilt session. I'm not trying to forcefully enlist anyone. This isn't a draft, right? But it is a call. 
It's seeing and recognizing the value that an apostle put on fellowship and personal relationship and challenging us to view face-to-face interaction, ministry, relationship in the same way. So again, how are we doing with that? Sometimes I think I'm doing pretty well. Sometimes I know I'm failing miserably. Even though I go to pretty much all the events, it doesn't mean I'm not checked out at some of them. I can even be leading and still be checked out. Even though I know it's beneficial for me to go to the things our church is doing, that doesn't mean I want to all of the time. I was not excited, was not thrilled about Family Fun Day. I'll just be honest. Was not looking forward to that one. And you know what? It was a hard day. We had nice, beautiful weather for most of the week leading up to it. And then on Family Fun Day, old Mr. Humidity showed up and reminded us how fun it is to sweat while we just sit still. But I'll tell you what. Family Fun Day was a great day for Calvary. We had the raddest-looking Plinko board you ever did see. Kids were lining up to watch that flat little reflective circle bounce down the board, waiting to see which, which place, which space it was going to land in so they could collect their candy. And we blessed many people with water on that hot, humid day, and I got to laugh with the body of Christ, and I got to introduce some of my friends from town to my brothers and sisters from our church, and I got to see the body of Christ at work loving on and blessing our community. And I got to see our community receive that with thankfulness. It was a hard day for me, but it was a good day because I was face-to-face with my church in fellowship and in ministry. And I need that reminder sometimes. Family Fun Day called me to repentance. You know, I, I didn't want to do that, man. Like, part of me was frustrated that we were even doing it. The town made us jump through so many hoops and, and almost begged so that we could be involved. I didn't want to go through that effort. I, I didn't want to be present. I wanted to, to push it off. I did it. But it wasn't with a cheerful heart. A bitter spirit would be a more accurate definition. Church, there are ministries, events, opportunities to grow and be a part of the body and fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ that are calling you to repentance. Have you hardened your heart towards Bible studies or events or activities or groups or even people in the church? Do you desire to participate at a distance to keep yourself removed and skip the face-to-face of church life? It can be hard for us sometimes, and As I realize my own sinful selfishness, I am reminded all the more of the God who had every reason to avoid us and yet chose to meet us face to face. For God sent his son to live among us, to teach us and laugh with us, to be right there beside us, to suffer heat and humidity, to suffer achy bones and blistered feet. And Jesus taught us and healed us. He cast out our demons and he performed fantastic miracles. And yet, though he was face to face with us, not many of us recognized him for who he was. And so he was betrayed and convicted and sentenced to death on a cross. And as Jesus carried that tree up the hill, he bore on his shoulders not just the timber he would be nailed to, but the sins of the world. Every time we've kept each other at arm's length, every time we've refused to get involved, every time we've ignored the call that is in our heart to ministry and fellowship, every time that we've been selfish, every time we've hardened our heart, every time we've been envious, every time we've fallen and failed, Jesus took all of it. And as the nails went through his hands and his feet and as he was lifted up to be mocked, the Bible tells us that there on the cross Jesus became sin for us and there on the cross Jesus died for our sin in our place. 
We deserved that death. He didn't. But he did it anyway. But our Lord did not stay dead. Three days later, he rose from the grave. And when we believe in him, when we trust in him and we have faith in him, the dirty rags of our sins are taken from us and we are given the robes of Christ's righteousness. Through faith, we live in the benefits of forgiveness. Through faith, we are called sons and daughters of God and heirs with Christ. Through faith, we are saved, not by works. Being present in the ministries of Calvary won't save you. Building relationships with your brothers and sisters in Christ will not earn you favor with God. These are healthy practices for you and for the church, but salvation does not rest in your participation. Salvation is through faith alone. This is the hope and the promise that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I don't know where you're at in your walk with the Lord, but I do know that through faith, that though faith is a personal journey, it is not one that we are called to take alone, for we are the body of Christ. It would be years before I received letters from a young woman again, but the next time I did, it was from a different young lady, a young lady that in my heart I knew I needed to keep close. A few months after I received the letters she sent me while she was on a mission trip in Mexico, I proposed that we spend the rest of our lives shoulder to shoulder, face to face, in each other's company till death do us part. And thankfully, she said yes. Now, I'm not proposing to you, church. I'm not asking you to get on your knees and pop the ring out to each other either. Some of us will live here for years. Some of us will find jobs in other towns or have to move away or switch churches for one reason or another. I'm not asking you to marry Calvary. I'm so thankful that you're here, but I know that we're not everybody's flavor. And I know that life will sometimes take us places far from here. But what I'm asking, what the Bible is asking, is not that we marry the church we're attending, but that we act like the bride of Christ, like the body of Christ. And as the bride of Christ, as the body of Christ, let us work side by side. Let us fellowship face to face. Let us care for each other and spend time together. Let us invite each other over for food. Let us go to the park. Let us invest in each other's lives. Let us build a culture that cares about the mission of God and the people that God loves, both inside, and inside the church and outside of it. And I know that's a difficult call. In our sinfulness, it's an impossible call to answer perfectly. So let us strive to be part of God's heart and mission to our church and our community, and let us trust the impossible to our Lord and Savior, for that is his specialty. And when we fail, when we fall, when we hurt each other, when we hurt our God, when we wall ourselves off, when we hold the world, our family, our friends, our church at arm's length, and we, when we check out, May we repent and know that there is forgiveness at the cross. Let us pray for strength to continue, knowing that we won't do it perfectly. We won't be on mission or community perfectly. But may we also remember that God has grace for us as we fail and flop around and mess it all up. How thankful I am for a God that has called us into relationship with him and with each other. How thankful I am for a God that forgives. How thankful I am for a God that loves. How thankful I am for our God, the God. How thankful I am for his church. What a fantastic, gracious, 
merciful and loving God we serve. Amen.